This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Self-love grows when we take action. Take steps to support and improve not only your physical being, but your psychological being and spiritual being. Valeria Tellez interviews Emily Thoreau Threat, the author of Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Emily Thoreau Threat is a textbook author and lecturer with extensive personal experience in the grieving process due to the deaths of her two husbands, as well as her father, mother, aunts, uncles, and many friends. She has learned to face life with love, optimism, and joy. In turn, she has created a unique program called Writing Your Way Through Grief to help others through the grieving process. She holds a master's degree in English with a concentration in writing. She has been teaching writing and composition on the college and university level over 30 years. During that time, she published the following three writing textbooks published by Prentice Hall and Pearson Education. Emily conducts workshops, speaking engagements, and retreats on transforming from loss on the mainland of the United States and in her home in Hawaii. Having gone through the experience of the poor health leading to the death of two husbands, as well as the deaths of her father, mother, aunts, and uncles, as well as many friends, she has much experience in the grieving process and has learned to face life with love, optimism, and joy. Emily is a grief transformation expert and holds a master's degree in English with a concentration in writing. She has been teaching writing and composition on the college and university level over 30 years. During that time, she published three writing textbooks with Prentice Hall and Pearson Education, including The Critical Edge and Cultures, Diversity in Reading and Writing. She participated with the Bereaved Persons Association in Bakersfield, California, which her husband co-founded. She also assisted her husband, Jack Thoreau, a bioethicist, with multiple revisions of his popular text, Ethics Theory and Practice, published by Prentice Hall and Pearson Education. She presents writing through grief workshops. Meet Emily at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. Here is the interview with Emily Thoreau Threat. In your own words, who is Emily Thoreau Threat? Oh, Emily Thoreau Threat is a powerful woman who's led an incredible life and is grateful to be able to help and support others. Would you say that what you do today, it has been the purpose of your life? 
Actually, it has. Um, after my second husband to die died, I found myself actually looking for the purpose of my life. And over a period of a few months, writing this book is what evolved and, and using it to help uh, provide love and support to others. question that I often ask is, how do we know when we are finally living our purpose? Are there some signs, Emily? I think you feel it. It's kind of a settling into a, a comfort zone of knowing you're right where you should be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. At least that's the way it was for me. Yeah. So it's a knowing, an inner knowing. Yes. It's very unique and personal to yes. all of us. Um, my official question for you is the warm-up questions. It's healing. What is healing to you? And what are some of the misconceptions about healing? Uh, healing to me is becoming or coming to a point where you are comfortable with where you are and and know that you're living your best life. And that can happen no matter what your physical problems are, sure. that that can still happen. Yeah, it sounds like one of the biggest challenges in being in a human body. It's physical pain, more than emotional. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, yeah, because the the you can emotionally deal with physical pain, but physical pain is there's not as much um, uh, how how would you say a control yeah. over it? Yeah, it's more dealing with it. True, there's no way to filter that. Yeah, in a way, I try to myself to deal with that in a very accepting way. But I notice people around me, my husband, it's just really painful to see him. Anything that happens in his body, he becomes very distressed and that takes over his mind. It's kind of interesting to um, observe. And I don't know how to really help him if there's such a thing. What would you say in this case for people who are going through physical pain? When, when people are going through physical pain, um, just love them and, and support them. Yeah. I know uh, Ron, my last husband, had was dealing with a great deal of physical pain. But he, he told me he, he knew that the pain wasn't actually real. Right. And so mm -hmm. he wasn't going to, to give into it. He focused instead on what was good about his life and what was positive and what he loved. And, and that yeah. helped him, and it helped me help him deal with it. It's important that the person who is going through physical pain have these uh, deeper understandings. That's right. Yeah, about life and themselves. I love that idea. 2020 has been one of these uh, challenging times and interesting to me, different. What insights have you gained and what changed for you? You know, it's been kind of interesting. I've, I've heard so many people that were really struggling with the isolation and with being alone, not knowing what to do, being uh, dealing with fear of uh, where they're going to get it, where their friends going to get it, uh, where they're going to lose their home or lose their income. There were there were so many things to be concerned about. But with with me, I think I dealt with it is or am dealing with it as well as I have because. I have uh, really consciously let go of fear in my life. And when you're not afraid of anything, you can deal with, with anything. So you do believe in, in this concept of becoming fearless? Yes. 
Yeah, how does it feel like? Talk to me about for a moment about that because I never heard that from anyone that I spoke to. No, not yet. Oh, to me, it's it's changed things so much. I realized that that most of my life, there was an element of fear in it. There was always something that I could be afraid of. And when you're afraid, it brings kind of a natural tension and it kind of overshadows things, anything else in your life. But when you realize that um, it's the fear itself isn't really real, and you can let it go, then you can focus on on what is good and beautiful and lovely about your life and what you can do. And you can focus on being positive because you're not afraid of what will happen. So I have heard that the opposite of fear is love. Yes. Is that, do you agree with that? Absolutely. I I live in love. That's, mm. that's my focus in life. I, I unconditionally... Um, love and when you're there it's 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 a wonderful peaceful feeling and it brings lots of uh, joy into my life i'm i'm happy most of the time and if something comes up i can look at it with a positive perspective and figure out what's good and true about whatever it is I'm dealing with. Oh, I love that, Emily. To meet somebody, talk to somebody who is living the embodiment of that truth. Did you have those seeds, per se, when you're a child? Or this is something that you've learned through experience and challenges? I definitely have learned it. I did. I wasn't that way as a child. I dealt with a lot of different things that I was afraid of, and you you attract whatever you're thinking of. So when I was afraid of things, that was what happened to me. And when I, I found that I could let go of those things and I focus on on uh, the positive and how can I help? What can I do? Uh, what's what's good about? my life and how things are going, then I can, I can be in a good place, uh, actually all of the time. That doesn't mean I don't get a little sad sometimes about things that happen, but I know that it's, um, it's a temporary feeling because I'm truly centered in love and positivity. Was there a moment in time that realization just came to you? No, it, it wasn't a moment. It was, it was gradual. Um, my last husband, Ron, was a religious science teacher, and he, he, we would have these really deep conversations, and he would, he would challenge me on things that I was thinking about in, in the conversations. And the more I looked at things, the more I was realizing that the things that I was making a big deal about or the things that were bringing me pain or discomfort or fear um, – weren't really real. There actually was a way to to deal with any of them, to to make them acceptable to me, and that it, it. So it was it was kind of a gradual process. And the the more I thought about it, the I was reading different books, I was taking classes and doing things, and I just got to a point where I really settled into it, so that uh, it feels so good. And and I I really can see the contrast from how I was living life before I started uh, focusing this way. And it's it's so good. So let me see. I do have a few more questions for you, the warm-up questions. The purpose of life, what do you think the purpose of the human experience is? Hmm. Uh, the purpose of life is to get to a point 
actually kind of like I am, I think, to uh, to really keep things in perspective, to really focus on on joy and focus on what's beautiful and and live in this this state of unconditional love. It, uh, it when you do that, everything else comes to that. So things like your occupation, the ways you're creative, the things you enjoy, all of that falls under that umbrella, so to speak. And I love that vision, yeah, that you just said. So that's the purpose, and that's what we wish, isn't it, for everyone mm-hmm. to experience yes. in the human body? Love. And my last warm-up question is about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you, and what is to be free? Uh, freedom is, to me, a state of consciousness, because I've heard uh I just what popped into my mind were prisoners of war that when even when they were held in atrocious circumstances, they still could be free in their mind and in their heart. So freedom, freedom is um, kind of what you make it. So you you can stay in a situation where where you're not free physically, but you can free yourself in your mind and your heart. So that that's kind of what freedom is to me, I think. So you wrote the book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. My two initial questions are, how did you become a writer? And what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book? Okay, I, I became a writer. I started writing like when I was in junior high school and always enjoyed writing. And when after I got my um, bachelor's degree, I wanted to go on for my master's. And where I lived, the university there didn't have a, a degree in, in what I had been doing. So I decided to take it in English. But it wasn't just reading books that interested me. It was writing. And so I, I got my master's with the, uh, in English with a concentration in writing. And that led me to teaching writing at the university level. And, and I wrote a couple of books, uh, textbooks, on, uh, for students to use when they're learning how to write. So writing is, is kind of my, my passion. It's something that uh, I'm comfortable with and I, I love exploring. So writing turned to me to be kind of the the natural direction to go when dealing with my grief. Mm. Oh, wow. So you do connect uh, writing to healing. Absolutely. There's something about when I, uh, for instance, I had a horrible experience once in my life, and it was when I was still fully uh, involved in fear. And I started writing about it, and the more I wrote about it, I could just feel the fear and the, of the experience kind of dissolving. And I finally, it, what I was writing got shorter and shorter, and I finally yeah. got to the point where I thought, I don't need to write about this anymore because because <laughs> right. I'm okay with it now. <laughs> yeah. So it is a form of release. Then would you say clarity or release? Both. Or both. Right. Both. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the way I got to to this book in particular that you asked about was. After Ron died, a few months after his died, he died. A good friend of his just dropped dead, and he was he was much younger than Ron was. And his uh, we were family friends, and I knew his wife was totally unprepared for it because he wasn't the age where you think about dying, and he wasn't sick or anything. So I immediately wrote her um, this letter that said all the things that she needed to 
think about at that time and what she she really didn't need to think about at all because I knew nobody was going to be telling her these things. And she had, had told me how much help that, that was to her, that uh, she, she didn't know what she would have done if she wouldn't have gotten it right when she did because she, she was really lost. So I thought, I've got to do more than that. And so I decided to write her uh, a card once a week for the first year. So 52 cards I was going to write her. And after I wrote those, I realized there was a sequence to the cards. And as a writer, I thought, I have an outline here. And I I can share this and share how I actively deal with my grief and how how much it's helped me and so that's that's was the impetus for the book talk to me about your own experience with grief and what grief is to you from your perspective how would you define that word well let me look at it from two different perspectives when my husband Jacques died he was the first of my husbands to die when he died I was I was lost uh, it wasn't that I wasn't prepared for it. He'd been a long, sick a long time, and I knew it was inevitable. But I just didn't know what to do with myself, and so I basically didn't do anything uh, a lot. I, I would, I'd go to work and then come home and, and sit. And it, I was really had a hard time, and it, it took me a while to work my way through that and get to the point where I was in, in a better place. Uh, and we had a great relationship, and he he was he was very deep. He was a, a philosopher uh, and writer also. And so when when Ron died, we had been uh, really focusing on living in the moment. As when he was going through the process of this, it was about two years that he his health declined. And the more positive we were, the more open we are were with with each other. We didn't worry about things that happened in the past. We didn't con- concern ourselves with the future. We just spent our time right in the moment. And in doing that, it helped my grief so much after he passed. And with with him, of course, I was sad. Of course, it's it's almost indescribable devastation that happens immediately. But when when I started coming out of that fog. I started thinking, okay, in this moment, right now, I am fine. And I then when the next moment would come, I would say the same thing to myself. And it got me um, kind of steady and stable. And then I started writing about it, writing in my journal and writing him letters in my journal. And that sort of thing uh, brought through the feeling to me. And I'm still grieving. You know, I'm, I'm grieving my parents' loss from a, a long time ago. Uh, all my family, I'm, I'm still grieving, but I don't, I don't dwell in it. The, the grief for me is kind of knowing that uh, our lives that we had together, being grateful for the time we were able to spend together, and uh, knowing that my love for each of these people that died will always be there deep in my heart. When you say about being in the moment, that really is one of the highest spiritual teachings um, that I have come across. So it's not a cliche, it's really a deep truth that the only moment that really exists is this now. Yeah, and you mentioned something in the book that was it caught my attention, that we experience grief differently. Every time we lose somebody close to us, grief is not the same. So I'm wondering... Like in your case, your two husbands, how different was it from one to another? 
Um, I think it was different based on on the relationships that we had. Right. Yeah. Um, because my husband Shock, I, I mentioned, was a philosopher. He he was also a, a bioethicist, where he, the ethics of everything in life was what he focused on, and he didn't really have a spiritual belief. He'd been raised Catholic and was disenchanted with that, and so he he was he was trying to make everything in his life logical. And so he he had a different perspective on life, and so I didn't have the same kind of relationship with him. And at that point, I I considered myself spiritual but not religious, but I didn't really do anything about it. So I I didn't have things to hold on to after he he died to um, help guide me or or know what to do, and so I I kind of stumbled through that time. Where with Ron, when when we had I had really learned living in the moment, it was it was so much better because I could focus on what I wanted to focus on and not let. Fear, like with after Jacques died, I was like, okay, what you know, <laughs> what am I going to do? How am I going to support myself? What am I going to? Where will I live? All that sort of thing was I was dealing with fear, where I didn't have that at all after Ron died, because I I really had had transcended the materialism oh, wow. at at that point. So they were very depending on the uh, experience or the connection we have with that person, then or actually with ourselves, right, Emily? That's yes. what I see. It's a connection yes. with self. Yeah, it, it was me. It wasn't them or what they did or what they believed, but it was my response to them. Yeah, yeah. And another question that I often ask, it might be all the guests that I interview about grief, is if we can prepare to lose somebody we love. Is that possible in any way? I think so. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that um, to when, when you're really focus on, focusing on loving them in that present that you were with them, then that, that allows you to know that you're doing the very best that you can with your relationship and with your love. And when you do that, it it really kind of prepares you for you you don't have them die and go, oh, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have done that. I, you know, I wish this would have been better. It, it takes all those things away and not having to deal with that after someone dies is very freeing. Oh, wow. It sounds to me, so no regrets. Oh, wow, I love that idea. And I'm wondering if we can all do that. It sounds like simple to me. If we love somebody, then we show love. And so we don't have to regret not loving them. But then it takes being in the moment, doing the work ourselves, yeah. Committing to being here now too. So talk to me. There are so many wonderful chapters in your book and the messages and the practices that you have there. And at the end of each chapter, you have those key tips from practices, basically, and advice. So talk to me about chapter two, the practice of journaling. So how does it work for people who are grieving? Is there a process? I know in the book you have those. I don't think you have a specific exercise, but you do give a lot of suggestions on how to write. But talk to me about it for a moment. 
Uh, journaling is, oh, it's so valuable to me. I Every day I journal. It's part of my spiritual practice that I do before I start my day. And some days it's it's short. I don't have as much today. And other days it'll, it'll uh, fill two or three pages of just where I am at, at that point. And the thing with, um, when, when we are in the process of living our lives, we have these thoughts and ideas and beliefs that, that kind of bounce around in our head that, that we don't really focus on. They're just kind of there. <laughs> and they can get in your way. You get too many of them there bouncing around, and it, it just kind of creates chaos. And with the, the process of writing and getting all that stuff out of your head, then you're, you're fresh. You have a fresh start to your day. And some days it'll be like, oh, I wish I could talk to Ron so much. So what I do that day is write him a letter. And and talk to him through writing the letter. And the really cool thing that I've experienced is when I finished writing that letter, I write a letter from him back to me. I don't think about what I'm saying. I just let it flow, whatever it is that comes to me. And it's so supportive. And I I can't say for sure whether it's him talking to me or whether it's me using all that he, he taught me and that we learned together when, when we were together. Yeah. But it's very supportive. Wow. Oh, wow. Love that. That's a great idea, advice um, for us to do exercise. And do you believe in um, life after death? Um, I believe that actually there, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, uh, that there is no death. Right. That the spiritual beings that we are always ex exist. The physical body may go away, but the spiritual self is is always unlimited. Chapter four, you talk meditation. That's another amazing experience I have had, and so many of us have had by practicing meditation. And you say, in that, I have a, a section here that you write, there is a big difference between lying in bed because you are too sad to get up and lying down to actively meditate when you relax and release the tension that your feelings are hammering at you. So talk to me about meditation. Is there a right way to practice? Um, well, I don't believe there's lots of right ways in most things in life because it's it's whatever serves you in that moment. And I can say that by some days, meditation for me is taking a walk without having my headset on, uh, without having somebody with me, just walking and breathing and seeing nature and feeling the wind and really clearing out that that can be every much a valid meditation as sitting in in the uh position that you, most people teach with meditation with your feet on the floor and your back straight and your hands facing up uh and focusing on your breath which is is a real traditional form of meditation and it's wonderful too but i can also meditate just looking at something beautiful and focusing on that so that all that stuff that we were talking bouncing around in your head um, kind of can take a break and you can uh, feel clear. So there, uh, there's not, to me, there's not a right way to meditate. You can meditate whichever way serves you best in the situation that you're in at the moment you're meditating. 
Yeah, I love that idea too, because we're all unique and anything that can help us to release that idea, the identification with thoughts, right, Emily? That's really what it is. Because we do, I have been doing that a lot lately too. And then uh, coincidentally, it's like laying in bed. And then at night or in the morning when I wake up, and that's what I do. Like, oh, I'm not my thoughts. So what else is here? <laughs> and then we can see the breath starts to deepen. And yeah, there's a relaxation and we are able to see with clarity and enjoy arises even. So it has been an interesting experience. So chapter eight, self-love, that's one of my favorite topics. Talk to me about what self-love is for you and how is it different from self-care? Self-love is really unconditionally loving yourself. Um, I know lots of people will say, oh, my eyebrows aren't quite right or my hair didn't turn out today or (laughs) that sort of thing. And and you're not loving yourself when when you're doing that. And and with me, I can can love myself when when I'm in my sweats just as easily as I can when I'm I'm dressed up. That uh, loving yourself is is an unconditional process that you know that you're perfect just the way you are and that you don't have to be something else or somebody else to please somebody else or to make have try to have somebody else feel a different way about you that with with self-love it's just uh doing what's best for you uh knowing that Self-care, which you mentioned, is, a, is an important part of self-love, that, that you don't do things to yourself or for yourself that are detrimental or harmful to you, that, that you, you focus on having the best relationship with you that's possible, because through that, you can have relationships with other people. If you don't love yourself, you can't really fully love somebody else. You have so many, as I mentioned, off record, the topics which could talk all day long because I love all of them. For the time being, I chose some of them. And the chapter 12, of course, called my attention. It's joy. You say joy and grief are ing and ying that fit perfectly together. When you don't experience one fully, chances are you won't experience the other fully either. And that is so true, isn't it? By pushing away uh, grief or sadness, then we're pushing away joy. Why is that so challenging for us to understand, Emily? Uh, I think it's because of society's perception of grief, that um, somehow grief is something people don't want to deal with. It's like uh, companies giving people two days for bereavement leave that you you can stay home on grief two days and then when you come back to work you, everything has to be back to normal um, and that's that's kind of the way that society in general can look toward grief um, I <laughs> after a year I, I said something about one of my husbands and somebody said to me aren't you over that yet and I thought uh, no <laughs> You know, you, you need to, to uh, dive into it and, and see what it is that you need to do to experience it the way that you need to experience with it, with experience it. Because if you don't, you can't really move forward. 
there's there's not a stepping forward if if you're stuck because you didn't deal with it and and then you start holding that against yourself because oh I didn't do it the right way or somebody else did it this way or somebody else got over it quickly or that sort of thing. So it's uh, you you really if if you ignore it that doesn't mean it's not there and that it's not going to come back to bite you when you don't take care of it because it's it's part of you and it's important that you take care of yourself. I've often asked the question about unhealthy grief. From your perspective, this is something that really exists. It's real or not? Unhealthy grief? Yeah. 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 When when people do things like um, bury their grief with uh, alcohol uh, or with uh, doing something that is not in their best interest as far as their health. Some people will, will sit in front of the TV and eat junk food as long as they're awake. And it's kind of mind-numbing and not healthy for their body. So the the kinds of unhealthy grief are the things where people aren't dealing with their grief. And when they recognize the pattern that they've fallen into, whatever it is, it can be other things. Those are just two examples. But whatever it is, the pattern that's follow, the, that you've fallen into to essentially block your grief, when you can start releasing that, then you can start dealing with it and be able to move forward. That is such a powerful message um, for all of us to hear and to be reminded of, because we do tend to do that in general, not just uh, with grief, but feelings. We we tend to suppress them and we are afraid to show, to embrace them. And that causes so, so much issues, so many problems that we see, um, especially with teenagers, suicide. We know that this is one of the reasons why they do that suppressing yeah. feelings. Yeah, or they don't feel like they have anybody to tell their, their feelings to. It's not just suppressing them for themselves. They need to deal with it by sharing it, by speaking their grief, by speaking their truth. And a lot of times with teenagers in, in particular, they think no one cares and nobody would listen anyway. And I think that's what leads to a lot of the suicides that we've been having. It, it seems, I, I don't know statistics on it, but it seems to me like it's happening a whole lot more than it ever used to. Either that or we're hearing about it more. And I don't know exactly why that happens. Uh, grief is another subject that we don't talk as often as well as suicide. Why do you think that is, Emily? Because uh, it's denial. Yeah, People yeah. don't want to think that, that that would happen to them. They they deny that they have grief. Or with, with suicide, uh, oh, I can remember when someone committed suicide who was a, a son of somebody I knew, and the, the father uh, was so embarrassed he could hardly stand it. That, that his son had done something like that and it was an embarrassment to him. And I thought, my goodness, get over yourself. You know, that's not what the problem was here. Maybe if you would have reached out to him, that wouldn't have happened. But uh, we, we look at suicide of somebody else as a failure on our part. And that's why I think people don't deal with it as, as much as they could. And that it's very important if you, you see any signs of somebody going that direction to help them get help or to just listen to them. And so we're almost at the end and I have so many other topics here with the quotes that I have on your book. I love this one. You say dealing with loss is a rich, sweet experience when we allow it to be. That's a powerful statement coming from someone who has been there. 
many times. And I love your courage. I love your strength, Emily. It's really beautiful. Really, really beautiful. And you sound so free. That's the word that comes to mind. Free. I, I feel it too. I really do. And it's, it's a really good place to be. I have highlighted chapter 19 too, because you talk about living in the moment. And that caught my attention, of course, but we have been talking about that. Mindfulness, meditation, um, and then so many other topics, forgiveness, regret, becoming aware. I love your work. Thank you again. And before I ask you my final questions, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Oh, I I really think that you covered it very well. There's a lot more there. It's yeah. it's a sort of thing that uh, is kind of meant to be taken in small bites, like yeah. a chapter at a time, right? So that you don't just sit down and read it cover to cover, but you you um, savor it and yeah. put it to practice in your life to to really help you. Thank you again, because it has been helpful to me. When you talk about being in the moment and just giving yourself completely, that resonates true. Yeah, if we live this way, then we have nothing to worry about later on. We still go through the process, which is beautiful too, but without the, the heavy pain. So my last question is to you, how do you define success today? What is to be successful to you? Uh, success to me is to have, um, let me see, to be where you're comfortable. Uh, that, that sounds kind of, uh, squishy, <laughs> but sounds good it, to me. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it's really important because so many of us spend our lives striving for something beyond. If only this happened or if only that, but if you can get to the point where you don't say if only anymore, that's success. You're, you're where you, where you need to be. If we stop saying that, what if, mm -hmm. right? And just the destination is here now. Oh yeah. I love that. Uh, what is another word for healing? Healing? Oh, gee, you're, you're asking hard questions here. Another <laughs> word for healing is um, self-awareness. Yeah. That's two words, but... And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? I know for sure that this moment is the only thing that truly exists. I know for sure that unconditional love is what makes your life and your world and the world go around. Mm -hmm. And I know for sure that each of us is whole, complete, and perfect just the way we are. Oh. Thank you so much, Emily, for your timeless wisdom, your beautiful, peaceful presence, loving presence, the compassionate work you do, and everything else in between that can be felt in the subtleties. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, I have a website that's the name of my book, lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. And most things can be found there. And there's a, a way on the website to contact me if you're interested in taking classes from me or having me speak or uh, want to be on my mailing list so that you can get my blog every week. That's all on my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. 
Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now, Emily. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Emily Thoreau Threat and her work, please visit lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.